Well, guys, Luke chapter chapter 2. I was about to say chapter 1. I forgot we moved on. <laughs> uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12 is where we'll be um, this morning. If you need a Bible, feel free to raise your hands and uh, we'll get one to you. You can keep it if you'd like it. Um, it's our gift to you. Also, my apologies if I seem a little bit out of it. I am... Uh, we had a good run in my household, I'll tell you that much. We almost had a month. Uh, but yeah, my girls are down for the count, I'm down for the count, but uh, feeling all right. So <laughs> my apologies, this continues to be an issue. <laughs> but uh, it, it, I should w- wake up here in a moment, I got some Starbucks in me. Not to mention the Holy Spirit, right? That's pretty good. Okay, um, if you're there, Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke... Chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to begin and read down to verse 12. Let's read it. I'll pray and we will, we will get in. <coughs> and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Let's pray. God, I always, I always love to just step back, just stop the the onward motion of tradition for a moment. (laughs) Just another Sunday, another time hearing a sermon, another Bible study. No way. No way. There is so much going on here than just mere tradition. God, you want to meet with us in these moments. You want to do immeasurably more than we can even think to ask in these moments. So I just want to open up, God, this place. Open up my heart. Open up these people to you. And say, God, we want you to come. Have your way with us. Work according to your good pleasure in our midst for your glory and for our good, God. I'm praying for your spirit to fall in a way that's almost tangible like the days of old. God, that we would get a sense of your presence here that cannot be denied. The holiness that causes even holy and righteous men to fall on their faces. God, we want to be broken before you so that we can be healed by you. So would you come, 
and put us back together by your grace. Would you use your words, would you use our time in your scriptures to do this, God? In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week, obviously, we looked at the, the first seven verses of, of Luke 2, and um, we saw that this, this baby, um, Jesus, born, Bethlehem, placed in a manger. Now, I, I, I want to ask a question here. Um, those of you that have had children, um, you know that, that, that giving birth uh, to your child it is an amazing event, right? It is, it's a momentous day. Uh, it's, it's a time to be celebrated, okay? So um, in our day, at least, what this means is you're going you're gonna to send out pictures of your little bundle of joy to all your, your family and your friends, right, in the mail. And you'll probably now put it also on Facebook, see how many likes you get. You want everybody to see how cute your little baby is, right? Um, and then you'll probably invite people over. You'll, you'll come on over. You've got to see this. Uh, you got to see what God has given to us, this little gift, this little blessing. You want to invite people in to that um, celebration, right? Um, the only thing is that you want all that sort of stuff, this celebration with all these other people, to happen next week, Right? Not you, you don't want all these people kind of coming into your uh, your hospital room to let me see the baby. You're sitting there. You're you know you're the wife. You're still getting you're still recovering here. This is a this is not the time you want everyone kind of crowding in on you, right? And looking at your baby. You're like, let me just get time with my husband. Let me hold my baby for myself. You know, give me a few days. I'll go get a shower, go get cleaned up, start feeling good again, and then let, let's do this thing, right? So it is a moment to be celebrated. Just give me a little bit of time before we do it. Well, here's what happens with Mary and Joseph. Um, they're not afforded such privacy at all. I mean, she's giving birth to her child, and... By all accounts, as you're reading the narrative, it would seem that even even as, as soon as a, an hour later, you've got these strangers filing in <laughs> to look at this child, to come and see this child born to Mary and Joseph. And such unusual events would remind us of the unusual nature of this child. And what I mean by that is this, this child, namely Jesus, whether to Mary and Joseph's dismay or not, I don't know, will not be merely for their joy, but for the joy of all the people, right? Verse 11. This child who has been born to Mary and Joseph is not just for Mary and Joseph. Therefore, when he is born, everyone's coming in. <laughs> Strangers are there. We've got to see this child. It's not just for the parents. It's for the world. I mean, You've got to think about this. 
Mary and Joseph would have to give Jesus away before they even really had a chance to draw him near. This child has been given to them to give to the world. And this, right, is only the beginning. You follow Mary through much of of the gospel and you just kind of see it. You remember when Jesus is in the temple as a 12-year-old boy and and she comes, she's so distressed. They had left and, and he's still there and she didn't know where he was and she finally finds him. What are you doing, son? Don't you know I would be in the house of my father? We're worried sick. You're not just... My boy, are you? The father's boy. And God so loved the world, he's giving his only son to it. And we know, you watch, there's Mary standing at the foot of the cross, watching this child being given away for us. It's unusual events because of the unusual nature of this child, a child not just for Mary and Joseph, a child for you and I, a child for the world. Now, we're going to walk through these verses um, bit by bit. I'm going to put my thoughts under three headings this morning. Um, first is the, the shepherd guests, and that's that's verses 8 and 9. Second, the shepherd king that's verses 10 and 11 and then third and finally the shepherd sheep verse 12 so the shepherd guests verses 8 and 9 it's what i've already been kind of alluding to let's dig into this for a moment because one would hope that if there if there has to be intrusions into your kind of baby shower moment when when uh you want kind of that private moment with your child and you're giving thanks to god if there has to be intruders in this moment um, you would hope that it would kind of be the upper class. You would hope that it would be kind of the, the men of, uh, the people of character and clout, the people of, of, of good repute, right? Um, after all, when you think about who Jesus is, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, you would expect that if strangers had to show up, those that would show up would be kind of the, the, the upper echelon of, 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 uh, you know, the surrounding regions. But that's not how God does this. He al- he's always orchestrating events in a way that confounds our flesh, right? We looked at some of that last week. And we see it again now where who we would invite versus who He invites is so different. Because it's not kings kind of come filing in. It's not the religious leaders It's not the wealthy, the rich, the powerful. It's not the people we would want there. It's shepherds. There's been debate about shepherds, and and, um, you've probably heard, oh, they're like this despised class. And that happened kind of later in Jewish tradition. Um, What we get from the Scriptures is actually something pretty positive regarding shepherds. Um, so not sure, but regardless of whether they were despised and no, notoriously bad guys, uh, what we do know is that they were lower class. What we do know is that they were the poor. What we do know is that their profession was not one that, that everyone was just lining up to, to get, right? These are guys that are, they're living out in the field. That's what the Greek word under, 
under what uh, Luke says there, they were out in the field means. It means to make your field or make a field your house. <laughs> These guys lived in the woods. They lived in the wilderness. They lived outside. And they lived with animals. And they watched these animals day and night. And they probably started to smell like these animals and everything else you can imagine. And so it's not um, the kind of people that you would want intruding on uh, your celebration, your child. <laughs> Here come these shepherds. Now, I want to ask the question, why? Why is God doing this? Why is God kind of forego and, 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 and almost kind of avoid the, 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 the kings and the leaders and the higher-ups to bring in the shepherds, pursuing the shepherds, right? I mean, there's going to come a time where Jesus is, is revealed to all. But these angels show up, or this angel shows up and speaks to who? Shepherds, why? Now, you get from other places in um, even Luke's gospel, like Luke 14, for example. I think I put the text on your handout. It's not, it is not that the rich and the kings and, the, and these guys, are. it's not that they're not invited. It's not that they're not invited to the party. They're not invited to, to celebrate the birth of the Savior. That's not the issue at all. What God is trying to communicate, I think, because what you, what you see as you read even like Luke 14 and other places, is that when the invitation comes to the rich, when the invitation comes to the people that have all the worldly accolades, they don't want it. They don't want it, you see. They love the way their life is going why would I want the disruption of some other king, some other lord? Get him out of here. I like my seat on the throne. It's going good for me. This is why, this is why, when the announcement does come to kings and the religious people, uh, what you see is that their first response is, let's kill him. Let's kill this child. That's Herod in, in Matthew chapter 2. Get rid of the baby. He's a threat to my life. Or that's the religious people in Luke 4. I don't know if you know. Luke, this is, this is Jesus' grand unveiling in Nazareth, in the, the, the synagogue there. And, and he's telling the people, I am the Messiah. I'm the Christ who's come to save the poor and the broken. So what do they all do? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. And they try to throw him off a cliff. Luke 4, I think, 28, 30, somewhere like that. Crazy. These guys who have the power, who like their life, don't want the disruption. But now, shepherds and all those who they kind of represent, the, the poor, the broken, the lowly, the, the lower class, the guys that are walking in the dirt. Oftentimes, and Luke will play on this a lot, oftentimes those that are poor in, in the flesh have consequently learned that they are poor in spirit. 
I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to give. What I have is brokenness, need, emptiness. I need a Savior. So these guys, and we'll look at it next week, they hear that word and they make with haste (laughs) over to that Messiah. Let's go. They're ready. Because they have nothing. You see. So he invites the people that are ready to hear it, that are ready to receive it. Now, we would do well to ask ourselves, can search our own hearts for a moment, because we're in Silicon Valley, you guys. I mean, in many ways, this is a pinnacle of, of modern culture, right? And so the question for us is, <laughs> are our bank accounts so padded, so full, that we, we feel rich in spirit? I don't need a savior. I've got my, you know, retirement plan and everything else worked out. I got a, you know, it goes faster on here, but I got a six digit salary or whatever. I'm all right. I don't, I don't want disruption or, or regardless of the status of your bank account, whether it's, whether it's in the red or, or you've got enough for, for, Years have you come to realize you are desperately poor in spirit. You desperately need a Savior so that when this announcement comes to you, it's not a disruption. Let me get over there and celebrate. Because I need Him. Let all the things of this world go. I need Him. If I have Him, I have it all. If I could, before we move on, if I could say a word about this um, great fear that the shepherds are filled with when they see the angel and the glory of the Lord there in verse 9. So this angel of the Lord, we're not told who the angel is. Very likely, perhaps, Gabriel, because he's called the angel of the Lord earlier, and it would flow in the narrative, but we're not told. This angel of the Lord shows up, the glory of the Lord shines all around, we're told. And the shepherds, uh, seeing this, are filled with great fear. And I just, I've just been thinking about the fear of the Lord, you guys. And so, if this seems like a quick little tangent, forgive me, but I just, you know what? I, I loved what Sanvi had to share. If you weren't here, I'll read it again in a moment because I thought it was so perfect. It confirmed my, my, my sense of, I just want us, hear me out, I want us to fear the Lord. In, 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 in one sense, I don't think that the shepherds being afraid in this moment is wrong at all. In fact, I'd be more concerned if they kind of pulled what Zechariah did a little bit before where he's got this kind of boldness and was talking back to the angel. I'd be more concerned if they weren't afraid. I mean, you've got the glory of the Lord, the weight of God coming down in these moments, and and, and you're just going to kind of, you know? That would be more concerning for me. And and, and so, (laughs) I'm aware that that the glory of the Lord ought to shake a man to his soul. 
And I want more of that. Now, when we read the narrative then, and we hear the angel communicate there in the next verse, fear not, fear not. Does that mean he's rebuking them for the fear? I actually don't think so. What I think he's doing, and what I think God does with our fear, is not so much rebuke us for it, but but redirect it, fill it out, set it on the right course. Here's what I mean by this. God is fearsome, but in Christ, first coming, He has come with all His glory and strength, not to judge and destroy us, but to comfort and save. Therefore, Perfect love casts out the fear of punishment, right? The fear of punishment, that's got to go. I'm not here to destroy you. That's 1 John 4, 18. I'm not here to, to punish, to destroy. I'm here to save. The perfect love of God casts out the fear of punishment, but it leaves intact the fear of the Lord. Hear me on this? This is how that verse exists in Psalm 33:18. Did you hear this? The eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. It's a good thing. On those who hope in His steadfast love. So hoping in love and fearing Him at the same time held together. And God's looking saying, I love that. You know I'm great. You know I'm holy. You know you deserve to be on your face. You just want to get down. And yet you also know I'm for you. And I'm moving. You don't have to be scared of punishment. My greatness is is harnessed, like we've said in the past, for your good. So there's no longer fear of punishment. There is fear of the Lord. Consequently, then, we're not casual about grace. And this is one of my concerns. This is one of the things that I see in my own heart. The longer I'm a Christian, the longer I walk with the Lord, and the gospel kind of becomes familiar, you know? And we just kind of get casual about it. Just kind of, oh, okay, God loves me. Oh, okay, Jesus died for me. Every song we sing is about it. Every message we hear is about that. I get it. And we don't fall before God. It's how could it be? We want to we want to be in awe. We want to be in awe. The image that I have in my mind um, is you know how in first Timothy six sixteen it says that God dwells in unapproachable light, right? He dwells in unapproachable light. But have you thought about this? He's calling us into His dwelling. (laughs) It's unapproachable. No one can go there. And yet the whole movement of the Gospel is, in Revelation, God has set His dwelling among man. (laughs) We are coming there. So as we're looking at this, this unapproachable, blinding light that is His glory, it's as if we hear this voice call out from it saying, to our amazement, the door is open. Come on in. 
And the hand of our Savior reaches out and we are pulled into (laughs) unapproachable light. That's the kind of thing going on there in verse 9 and 10. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. This power, this glory for your good. Get on in here. Now, second heading there, the shepherd king, as we move into verses 10 and 11. The angel calls the shepherds to not fear, right? And this is the basis for that command. For behold, he says, I bring you good news. That's there in verse 10. Now, the Greek verb behind this, I bring you good news, is euangelizo. And I tell you that because it's where we get the the English verb, uh, evangelize. Euangelizo, evangelize, evangelical. What it means, essentially, is to proclaim, to herald good news. This angel says, I have come to proclaim good news. That verb becomes the standard for, in, in Luke and Acts and everywhere else, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it is, kind of in its incipient form, at the very beginning But what I want to do with us is actually show you its connections to the Old Testament. Because this good news that the angel is bringing is actually old news, anticipated long ago. And many scholars have noted, okay, because we are wondering, what is there historical precedent for the gospel, for the good news of, of Jesus Christ? This idea of, I've come to bring you good news. And one of the most prominent, probably in my opinion, the most prominent place is that we see the connection in the Old Testament is in the prophecies of Isaiah. And so I wanted to go there. I want to show you this. And what this angel is announcing has arrived here. Um, in Isaiah, he, basically the, the first prophet um, that you'll come to in the, in the Old Testament, in that section, um, what we have is kind of this, this, this dramatic shift when we come to chapter 40, which is where we're going to go, okay? There's this dramatic shift, if you've read through, you know, all of Isaiah, which is, it's a lot, it's tough. If you've read through it all, there's this dramatic shift um, at chapter 40, where suddenly it seems like Isaiah is now prophesying, um, he's now speaking to people in the future. Because Isaiah is more or less a pre-exilic prophet, meaning before before um, Jerusalem, Judah, Israel went into exile, he is he is called to be a prophet to them, and yet in chapter forty he starts speaking to a people that will be in the future in exile in Babylon. And this is what he has to say to the exiles in verse one. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her 
that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The warfare has ended. Sins paid for, done away with. Comfort is here. This is the message being spoken to a people in exile for their sins. Now, continues in verses 3 through 8. We're not going to read that because we'll actually get to that. Luke quotes it later. And you can kind of see that Isaiah 40, the prophecies of Isaiah here, stand behind what's happening in our gospel. Because Luke will later quote uh, parts of verses 3 through 8 and, and, uh, and, ta- and relate them to what John the Baptist is doing. As the forerunner, the voice crying out in the wilderness, right? And, and this one going before Jesus. And therefore Jesus starts to come into view as the, this ultimate redeemer from exile. The one that all this stuff was leading to. The one who is really going to lead us out of exile into freedom. The one who's really going to deal with our sin. But then in verse 9, we read this of Isaiah 40. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of Good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Here is our verb in the Greek Old Testament, euangelizo. You're a herald. Herald the good news. Tell people that the exile is over. That their sins are being paid for. Comfort them with the news. Call them to behold your God. Because He is here. This is the good news of Luke 2.10 and its historical precedent in the Old Testament. But now, I want to go into verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 40 because Isaiah fleshes out the substance of this good news for us. And this is where it gets a little interesting. What is this good news all about? What are we heralding? (laughs) What is happening here exactly? Verse 10 says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I love how the ESV study Bible puts it. The glorious Lord comes to His people as a conquering king, a generous benefactor, and a gentle shepherd. To put a point on it for you, think of it like this. The same arm that we read here with which He rules in might, like a king, 
is the arm into which he gathers his lambs in gentleness. God is here pictured as mighty king and gentle shepherd. So the great end time period of redemption anticipated by Isaiah, the great end time proclamation of this gospel, this good news that's going to be heralded, it's likened to God coming, reclaiming His flock and tending to them with care. This is significant for our, our, our text in Luke. Um, because there are a number of other contextual clues that would, would lead us toward a certain conclusion here. What it shows us is that the pastoral kind of shepherd context of verses 8 and 9 out in the field, shepherds and sheep, th- th- there's something multi-layered going on here. In other words, it's not only pointing to the type of people that God is going to save, that God is going to come near and save, namely those that are low, those that are broken, those that know they're poor. It's not only pointing to the type of people God has come to save, it is pointing also to the type of Messiah God is bringing. Namely, a shepherd who's come to seek and save the wandering sheep. Now, let me show you how, how, how this is also in um, the context of Luke. Do you remember last week that I read from Micah 5? Um, it's the prophecy about a child being born in Bethlehem. Clearly we know it's Jesus. Matthew points that out plainly. We looked at that a little bit um, last time. I pulled us up short in the prophecy knowing where I would go this week. Um, because I want, now I want you to see where Micah goes uh, in Micah 5 after talking about this child who is to be born in Bethlehem. What will this child be like? Let's start in verse 2 of Micah 5. If you don't want to find it, you can just listen closely. It's relatively familiar for us. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Ruler. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. That's where we stopped. Let's go to verses 4 and the first part of verse 5 now. And he, this child, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This ruler in Israel, verse 2, Micah 5, is also, will also, stand and shepherd his flock. 
verse 4. He will be king, but he will be shepherd. Mighty hand, gentle hand. There's another contextual element in Luke that points us in the direction this Messiah will be shepherd, coming for lost sheep. And that's this Davidic idea that just saturates all of Luke 1 and 2 for that matter, but especially um, these verses we've looked at where we see that this Messiah, this Christ, is coming in the line of David and He's going to be born in the house of David, in the city of David. Bethlehem. It's verses 4 and 11 and other places in Luke 2. But here's, here's the deal. I mean, you guys remember this probably. Maybe not. What was David doing when he was anointed king by Samuel? What was David? Where was David when Samuel came to anoint a son of Jesse? Shepherding his father's flock. For Samuel 16:11. There remains yet the youngest child, but behold, he, David, is Keeping the sheep. So there is a rich history lying behind this idea in Israel of a shepherd king. The anointed king of Israel, shepherd of his father's flock. All of this, all of this points us to the conclusion that this Messiah, the subject of this good news, the angels declaring here is going to be a shepherd king. This is why Luke 15, when Jesus is describing his ministry to the religious leaders who are scoffing at him for eating with tax collectors and sinners, he looks at them and he says, let me read it. What man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Religious leaders, arrogant, self-righteous, you don't get it. I have come to be a shepherd and I have come to pursue the wandering, the stray, the lost sheep. I came to eat with the sinner, to welcome the low and the broken. That's why I'm here. I am not just king, but shepherd. So how does this hit you? This is kind of what lies behind the good news. This angel is proclaiming that Jesus is going to step out and accomplish. How does it hit you that you have a shepherd, that you have a shepherd king? What does that mean for your life? I just kind of accumulated all the things we've read about what this shepherd's going to do in Isaiah, Micah, and Luke. Let me just read this over your life for a moment. This means that He tends to your needs. He gathers you in His arms. He carries you 
close to his chest. He gently leads you through hard times. He will make sure you dwell secure. He will be your peace. He will pursue you until every last wandering affection of your heart is His alone. And He will rejoice over you with loud singing. And just think about that. You ever feel alone in what you have to go through? Like it's just yours to figure out? All these issues that come at you, work, family, just life in a fallen world. It's just me. I gotta figure this out. I gotta find the way through the labyrinth. Cause no one else is gonna do it. Christ as your shepherd king says he is up above, sees it all, and he's down with you in the midst, walking, leading, guiding. Not alone. Not lost. Doesn't he say that in John somewhere? I'm going to find my sheep. I will not lose one of them. I don't know where that is. But it's made in John 6 maybe. Is that right? Oh, not going to lose you. John 10. Can't get my sheep out of my hand. You can't. I got a grip on them. And if I lose grip, my father's got a grip on them. You're not getting out of his fold. And there's another thing here. I just thought was amazing. I mean, have you ever thought that when he does finally find you, like you've been wandering, you've been, you've been struggling with sin, you've been off somewhere in the darkness, you just went after, you know, whatever the world had to give. Have you ever thought that when he does find you, what you're going to get from him is just when he, you get back in here, you so pissed. He throws you over his, sh- I said, forgive me. Forgive me, we got a little kid here. I said, pissed. I just said it again. You're going to, I'm so upset with you. I'm going to throw you over my shoulder and take you back in here. You get over and you think about what you, that's not what he says. What does he say when he finds the lost sheep? What does he say when he's found it? What does he like? What does he experience when he, when he finds the, the stray? It says, it says he picks him up, puts him over his shoulder, and rejoices. Not spanking and yelling. At, no. I'm so happy I found you. Get back in here. I have missed you. You understand? That's the heart of God, you guys. Not to kind of stand in the background and make you prove yourself. He goes after the low, the weak, the broken. He's not, he's not alarmed by this. He's not amazed. He knows what's in man. He comes after us and when he finds us dirty as we are, he rejoices over us with singing. No wonder then Psalm 23 has meant so much to so many people through the years, right? No wonder, no wonder, because Christ as your shepherd is just some of the most, this is the best news in the world. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So this is the good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people, even you. How did it get so late? Look at me elaborating here. and You know, we'll, we'll read this verse and I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly through this, this verse 11. It's amazing, but we'll go fast through this so I can bring us to the close. The angel then connects this good news explicitly with the birth of Jesus, obviously. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is amazing. I don't know if there's a more potent cluster in all the scriptures with titles for Jesus and what he will be. But you have so much there in those three words Savior, Christ, Lord. I don't have time to go into it, but here it is. I'll give you synopsis. Savior, He's going to be Redeemer. He's going to save you from your sins. This kind of emphasizes, accents uh, the child's activity. He's going to save. Christ, talking about the, the Davidic king expected from of old. This, 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 this one that's coming in the line of David, the anointed one. It's talking about his office. So you got his activity, his office. He's going to be the Christ. And then you got Lord. And that one just explodes with amazing stuff. Because while Lord can be used for just kind of earthly authorities, in the Old Testament, the great majority of times it's used is actually to translate into the Greek the, the, the name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh, translated into the Greek Old Testament, Lord. <laughs> Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord, which we will come to see as we carry on with Luke and then into Acts, means Jesus is Yahweh, God in the flesh. Now, the shepherd sheep, verse 12. At this point, the angel is speaking of things fit only for an angel's tongue, it seems to me. I mean, talking about this shepherd king, talking about the one who will be uh, the fulfillment of all that, that was hoped for from David, all that was hoped for in Isaiah, all that was hoped for in Micah, talking about the one who will be Savior, Christ, Lord, even God Himself in the flesh. And we are just soaring into the heavenlies here. And then in verse 12, it's as if someone just takes a shotgun and shoots the announcement right down out of the air. Just falls and lands in a pile of animal slop. Because the angel's going to give them the shepherds a sign. This is how you're going to know you found the right child. This, this, this exalted figure I've been talking about, this is how you're going to know you found the right one. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It's so familiar, we forget how profound it is. We looked at it last week. We close with it again here. Lying in a manger. What 
is the exalted figure of verse 11 doing in an animal's feeding trough. This is the sign. This is how you'll know you found the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's not in his, in his, in his parents' palace. He's not accompanied with pomp and flair. He's with the animals. He's not, he's not even Lord over the animals at this point. He is lying with them in their food, in their feeding place. What kind of king is this? What kind of shepherd is this? We know He would be the good shepherd. And He would live His life in pursuit of the lost, the wandering, the stray sheep. But we know that the way He's going to get the stray sheep back into His fold, the fold of His Father, we know the way He's going to save us from our wandering, is actually to become a sheep Himself. The good shepherd has to become a sacrificial sheep. The good news of Isaiah 40 reappears in Isaiah 52, verse 7. It's still carrying on. This good news is coming. And it carries us into Isaiah 53, where we know what we see. This is how the shepherd is going to shepherd. He's going to become a sheep. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 7, He will be like a lamb that's been led to the slaughter. How do you save wandering sheep if you're the good shepherd? You lay your life down for the sheep. John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what we needed, you guys. We needed an offering for sin. We needed an unblemished lamb. We needed someone to take away the wrath of God that abided on all of us. So if we want, if we want the good shepherd, if we want Jesus' good shepherd, we have to receive Him as sacrificial sheep. It's the only way we get in His fold. He lays His life down for us and said, get on in. No more sin. This is how dirty people are invited in to unapproachable light. Did away with it all on the cross. And this paradox... A shepherd who is also sheep. 
is eternalized for us in the new heavens and new earth. I want you to hear this. You will be shepherded forever by a sheep. <laughs> Revelation seven seventeen, The Lamb, the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He'll lead them to living water. Psalm 23, your shepherd in Psalm 23 leading you to green pasture, quiet waters is a lamb who went to such great lengths to get His sheep back even unto death on the cross. And all that is front-loaded into this baby lying in a feeding trough. He has come to get lower than the animals for us. So, final exhortation. Two of them. Receive the invitation. It's for you. However dirty, however ashamed, however filthy, however broken, however weak you feel, it's not about the offering you can bring to God. It's about the offering Jesus has made for you. Don't be afraid. Right? It's his good, it's your Father's good pleasure to give the flock his kingdom. Receive it with joy. Receive the invitation. Publicize the invitation. I mean, go, go everywhere with this news. Go to the high. That's fine. Go to the low. Go to the highways and the byways, the upper class, the lower class, the white collar, the blue collar, the rich, the poor, the old, the young. The cool and the ones you want to be seen with and the losers, the ones that you're kind of embarrassed to be seen with. Go to them all with no partiality. This gospel is for the world. Jesus has been given for the world. I encourage you, take David's little invitation, you know, to a meet Jesus discussion group. And just, even if you don't have the courage to say anything, hand it to someone because it's for them just as much as it's for us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we have in you a good shepherd. You care for us. You love us. Tending to us. And we have nothing to be afraid of. God, help us to walk with boldness. Because we know you have our back and you go before us. Help us, God, to stand both both trembling before your glory, fearing you, (laughs) and yet also hoping in your steadfast love. In Jesus' name, amen.